This is Camp Hacker. Come find our show notes and our blog for camp directors and leaders at camphacker.tv. Good day and welcome to our podcast. This is Camp Hacker, episode 82, recorded on the 6th of May, 2015. On today's show, volumes of volunteers, advancing your program and site. If you would like easy, automatic, free updates of our podcast, you can subscribe in iTunes or use the free Stitcher app. This week's Camp Hacker podcast is sponsored by GoCamp Pro. In a lot of ways, GoCamp Pro was built for directors just like you, people doing it all themselves. We designed this by asking ourselves, what resources do we wish that we had during our time as directors? The material will be helpful for those in their first five to seven years of directing, but so much of it fits for camp directors who are looking for ways to make their camp life easier. To see Travis's quick overview of GoCamp Pro, go to gocamp.pro forward slash inside. We hope you enjoy the Camp Hacker Show. Hello, Camp Pros, and welcome to the Camp Hacker Podcast. My name is Travis Allison. I run a blog and a podcast network about running a great summer camp at camphacker.tv. My name is Joe Richards. I'm the executive director at Pierce Williams Christian Center, which is a United Church of Canada summer camp and retreat facility located in Fingal, Ontario, sort of halfway between Detroit and Toronto. I'm David Gill. I'm the director at uh, Ferncliff Camp and Conference Center. We're located just outside Little Rock, Arkansas. We're a faith-based summer camp program and a year-round conference center related to the Presbyterian Church, but uh, open to any and all. Fantastic. Well, welcome back, David. It's so great to have you. Appreciate it. So today's topic actually comes from David. Um, David suggested this. He and Joe have had this conversation. He and I have had this conversation at different points about using volunteers to advance your program and your site. Um, And David is certainly the master of it. I know that Joe and I both have experience with working with volunteers in our own camp programs, but uh, we bow down to David's expertise in this. And we're grateful, David, for your suggestion to talk about it, because I think it's a topic that whether or not you're a nonprofit camp, um, you can take great advantage of volunteers for these two issues specifically to program and site. But I wonder, David, what it was that um, that made you suggest that you wanted to have a bigger conversation about this. I was thinking, you know, if I had to list uh, the top five or ten things that have, have uh, made uh, Ferncliff a growing camp and conference center, um, uh, catering to volunteers would be, you know, certainly in the top probably in the top five. Um, over my 18 years here, we've grown from um, virtually no volunteers when I came to now between um, 10 to 14,000 volunteer hours a year. Wow. So that uh, that is essentially like three to five full-time year-round staff when you translate the hours yep. in terms of the labor you receive. You know, and uh, <clears throat> ours are mostly... Um, doing physical projects around the camp, not, not, you know, a little bit of programmatic help, but um, it's more maintenance and uh, painting and trail work and, you know, a whole variety of resources. We're able to, we've been able to improve our site significantly just by having volunteers, um, you know, come and, you know, engage, you know, virtually every day. We have volunteers here, so that's uh, I, th- I think that's been a key to success um, 
into place. And so, yeah, I thought, you know, other camps that, you know, maybe haven't figured out, you know, how exactly to do that. This might be a healthy discussion for us to kind of talk about the, the basic ropes. Awesome. And so starting from scratch, David, what were some of the first things you did to get people thinking about Ferncliff as a place that they want to give of their time? First thing was um, beginning to hire staff that were um, particularly maintenance staff who were volunteer friendly. You know, mm. sometimes you get the camp maintenance department uh, sometimes can be so focused on the technical aspects of you know, the water system and the sewer system and all the buildings. And, you know, it's a, it's a pretty ambitious, um, workload and you often hire, uh, for the certain skills, skill sets you need, the hard, the hard skills. Yeah. But, um, I realized that, um, it's our maintenance folks that are key to, uh, growing a volunteer program. You have to have uh, maintenance department. They can work on, um, you know, fixing the lawnmower, but they can also, uh, be, volunteer friendly in terms of just having some people skills and being open to working with people who, who don't know as much as they do, but they, if they embrace that, then, you know, that's, that's essential. If you, if they don't, then it's really hard to grow a, a volunteer program. So part of it was just, you know, part of it was just a mentality change of right. say, you know, there's other folks out there that want to engage. And if you can, um, if you're open to, you know, some training and teaching and, doing the front end work of getting things organized and having the supplies and, um, uh, then you can, um, you can really get a lot more done, um, um, that way. So uh, I think first it was, uh, you know, creating a new mentality that was volunteer friendly, you yeah. know, that we welcome it, and we're equipped for it and we get, we have hospitality around it. And, you know, once people felt the welcome mat was out, then, um, then they started showing up. Um, and I realized early on when I first took this job, I thought, you know, I'm going to spend all my time with, um, you know, f where the kids are, you know, the churches that have young families mm -hmm. and, you know, the, you know, the, the, you know, the soccer moms and, you know, the, the that constituency. But I quickly learned that, um, that for us, our, our, uh, retired folks are a, um, are golden in terms of the support for camp and the ability to volunteer and time and skills. And so, um, I quickly, you know, learned that, um, tapping their expertise and their, the fact that they can come Monday to Friday and volunteer, um, that that was a, that was a, a real learning for me. And we began inviting them to come on, uh, especially on weekdays so that our yeah. maintenance yeah. staff didn't have to work every Saturday. And, you know, when we're busy with conference groups to get volunteers who could come midweek was, um, you know, it was really important. So yeah. we began, you know, began, um, began doing that, um, and, uh, inviting, especially the, you know, retired folks to come. Then we also tap in starting, I don't know, 15 years ago, we tapped, um, uh, here in the States, we have AmeriCorps. Yep. Kind of like Vista or, uh, you know, kind of a domestic version of Peace Corps. And, um, they have traveling teams of eight to 10, eight to 12, college age young people looking for a year of service, gap year, et cetera. And, um, um, we, uh, we were able to apply and attract them and we probably had 30 of those teams average two a year and they come for eight weeks. So you've yeah. got eight to 12 enthusiastic college age, 
young people who live on your site and work for eight weeks on various projects. And that's, um, you know, that's, that was, became a huge source of volunteers too. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we, we've been, we appreciated tapping, tapping that. Um, well, I, you know, I think, um, so a couple of really great points and, and I, I love the idea and really truthfully you hadn't, felt the tension of it, but never really figured out how to address it when I was directing of um, moving maintenance staff from being the, you know, curmudgeonly old maintenance person who we all sort of put up with because he or she has skills um, mm -hmm. into having them realize that part of their job is to be welcoming and to be open to helping people. And even part of the psychology of that is to be saying, um, maybe I don't need to be the one who's painting this wall. If I have some volunteers coming at a certain point, I could use my hard skills today on solving a bigger problem. And then these little problems that I can have volunteers, I can set up to do it. Well, I could start to gather those kind of projects for them when you right. have a weld. And I think we began realizing that, you know, well, campers are a constituency whose lives we want to positively impact. We began realizing volunteers are also a constituency whose lives we can positively impact by giving them meaningful work experiences. So it's not just a, what can we get out of those people, right. but we have something to offer. They want to engage their skills and feel like they're part of what we do out here. And so it's, um, you know, you begin seeing them not as a commodity or, or X number of hours, right. but as people who really want, um, you know, to become, you know, more active, uh, and then they move on to become donors and, yeah. and, and, and that, that too. So I, I think it's, I, I agree. I think it's a, it's, it's a, it's a mentality that sees volunteers, not as an imposition, but as a, you know, fantastic resource and you're willing to pay, you know, there's some extra price that comes with volunteers. Some jobs aren't done quite as well. Um, yeah. sometimes you have to redo something you have to organize ahead of time. You have to think things through. You, um, you have to tell them three times. Sometimes it depends on the skill level, but, but, um, you know, if in the, you know, the end of the day, it's a, it's a huge, it's a huge positive. Um, if you approach it with the right mentality. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for suggesting a topic. I'm, I'm excited to get into it a bit further. So, Joe, when you started at Pierce Williams, what was the volunteering culture like there? Well, like David said, there is a volunteers have any number of roles, and and for maintenance, we struggled with volunteers, and I think that's due to that curmudgeonly maintenance man who's not very welcoming, or you know, as David said, jobs aren't always done perfectly, but. And, and so when you have someone who's not welcoming to volunteers or you don't have a great way to manage those volunteers or you give them only menial tasks. So here we yeah. chat, we were struggling with, um, with volunteers and, and how they felt they contributed. So board members are volunteers and, and committee members, and they'd gone through a lot of change. We have, uh, <coughs> excuse me, we have a retired contractor on site today and has been on site for a couple of weeks working with a, a, a company who's laying new sidewalks, right? And he's a volunteer for us because he used a great point. He said, Joe, if your job is to go out and find the money, um, you don't always know, and then to spend the money, but you don't know the specs on what you're spending it. 
you know, that can actually get us into more difficulty. So if I take on like project management of that money and I'm like, I'm totally good with that because <laughs> it takes a job off my, takes a job off my, um, off my plate and puts it onto his. And, and from a board level, that's a good thing as well, because we have someone who has all that experience. Um, volunteers is something we, we've moved to the, you don't have to volunteer at Pierce to volunteer for Pierce. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, we, we have some projects like at, uh, I was at Ferncliff a couple of weeks ago, um, and thank you, David, for being the host of that. And we saw carpet ball, uh, foldable carpet ball tables, which the plans are available on the carpet ball website. And, and I've already passed those plans along to a woodworker who's done a lot of stuff for us, but he doesn't come on site to build it. He'll build it in his own workshop, and then uh, we go up or he delivers. Us. So um, it's the idea that you're getting volunteers from a variety of places. Um, but volunteers is something, as I listen to David talk, where we really need to improve. And I think it's, I think it's partially making sure that maintenance has jo- you know, a job that people can do and putting that out so that people can know what they're doing before they come and can sign up for it as well. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Joe mentioned this. Uh, it was kind of a revelation to me. Kind of stumbled into it. The idea of off-site volunteers, yep. and uh, so we've had you know the carpet ball tables, we've had picnic tables, um, gaga pits, things that can be built in somebody's workshop. It's all it's like you know they don't necessarily have to come to your own camp, but you can send a set of plans, and they can do that. Half the time they choose to they go ahead and buy the materials for you uh, anyway. Um, so that's, that, that's a, that really spreads you out in, in, in terms of being able to, you know, you know, do more things, uh, with volunteers offsite. One of the things we also did was, um, we have housing here for volunteers and, um, I mean, it's not exclusively for volunteers, but we have certain times when, when people can live here. So we're not relegated to only commuting volunteers and we get a lot of, uh, mission teams, um, all summer we'll have we'll have nine mission teams this summer each each week of the summer a, a group from another part of the country will come here for a week uh, live in our retreat house they'll uh, pay fees rental fees to stay there which is good revenue source yeah. for us but they'll uh, spend a day working in our disaster center and a day working on our camp and then they'll find connect with other service agencies so I don't have to keep them busy for a whole week but they do uh, work here for a couple days and um, help us, you know, continue to, you know, uh, you know, make improvements during the course of the summer. So, so mission teams is a huge, is a huge source of volunteer uh, yeah. labor. But, but you know, a lot of camps aren't set up to be able to for teams to be able to do their own cooking. It's really hard for um, a volunteer traveling group to come to a place. Uh, and pay rent and pay for their meals. Right. You know that 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 gets kind of pricey. So, having uh, carving out on your facility a place that volunteer groups can live and do their own cooking, um, you know that's a huge plus. You you open your door to a lot of volunteer options when you have the ability to host a team that can do their own cooking and keep their prices down. Right. So having that facility is important. Actually, before I go too far down that direction, David, I want to come back to um, sending out the plans that, that Joe, the idea that Joe introduced. Yeah. Is it, uh, do I remember correctly that you have a group of, of people who um, sort of have a community workshop that the people in that community workshop 
mostly retired folks build a bunch of stuff for you? Yeah, yeah. Front Cliff? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We have a group that kind of migrated to, uh, we have a big 10,000 square foot warehouse and in it we have a shop. So we have indoor working space, which is, you know, great. And this group, um, they call themselves the Over the Hill Gang. Hmm. Uh, somehow, I don't know where they got that name. <laughs> that they they uh, they show up every Monday morning, and they uh, drink coffee, uh, argue, and then they get to work. And it's usually in that in that right. order. And, yes. And they are a community. I mean, these guys have been together for over a decade. They, you know, know each other well, and it's really nice to see that uh, community. And I joke that. Um, it's also a ministry to their wives yeah. to give them something to do. <laughs> the, the wives tell me that, um, you know, having a retired man around the house is like having a grand piano in the kitchen. Right. And so they appreciate, uh, Hey, don't you need to go out to Ferncliff and do some work, you know? Um, so it's a, you know, it's kind of funny that way, but, but they, they spend every Monday morning here. And so they've done, uh, picnic tables, trash barrels, wood storage boxes, uh, bunk beds, um, uh, cubbies, uh, wardrobes. Um, they like doing things that they can do indoors. So they don't have to yeah. get up on ladders. Yeah. Uh, they're, they stay, you know, safe. Uh, they, they can do it 12 months a year, you know, indoor. And, um, that's the kind of project they cater to. Right. And, uh, so we've, we we scramble to keep a uh, step ahead of them and say, okay, uh, we've built we've rebuilt every bunk bed on the camp. We we now every guest here sleeps in beds that they built, the platform beds. Um, and uh, you know, I only can you can only have so many picnic tables at a camp. So I, I'm beginning <laughs> to run out of projects. So the the latest um, change that's just happening in the last few weeks is um, they're going to become a ministry of Ferncliff. Right. They now have invited us to solicit jobs from other uh, agencies yeah. and say, you know, if you guys if you guys pay for the raw material and if you guys can come and pick it up when we're done, nice. then we'll build any of these six or eight things. And here's what they look like. Here's what they cost. And um, we can crank these out for you here. So this becomes, um, you know, becomes a mission of Ferncliff. And it keeps those guys busy and it keeps me from having to manufacture, you know, come up with right. more projects, um, you know, once they've kind of outpaced the things we need here at camp. So um, so we'll soon have a brochure that we'll send out to other other camps in our area, other nonprofits, um, other ministries they would feel good about supporting and, uh, you know, solicit those jobs to kind of uh, keep them engaged. So so I'm excited about it. You know, it's going to be brilliant. Really Brilliant. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. That's great. So, Joe, um, you know, David's talked about some of the sort of the, the things that volunteers have done for them in the past. Is there creative stuff that they have done for you at Pierce Williams? Yeah, a lot of our volunteer time. Um, well, we had a, there's an organization in Ontario called Volunteer Builders, and we mm. had, uh, they bring 100 volunteers out. You sign up for them. Um, it's essentially, it was essentially, it's, you sign up three years in advance, the proposal, so that's a bit different. Our local volunteers have done things like hand carve all of the signs we have around camp. So when you're at camp and you see an office sign or a, 
um, you know, assigned to a building. Those have all been done by volunteers. Our st- all of our stilts that we use for battle stilts and for ge- general stilting are volunteer-based. Um, we've had volunteers do uh, a lot of finishing work on our on our barn that the volunteer builders helped. Um, you know, so um, volunteers also used to do things that like stuffing envelopes and whatnot, but we don't do so much of that anymore. Right. Um, All right. Well, we have lost Joe. I guess the internet's not doing so well at Pierce Williams this morning. We'll try to get him back on the show, but um, we'll continue on for where we're going. Um, So David, I have a good feel for, you know, how you got things started and, and made it a good welcoming place for volunteers, but how do you reach out to people who, um, you know, to, to build up the pool of people who volunteer? Oh, that's a good question. <clears throat> it's it generally a bit, it's been word of mouth, you know, um, volunteers kind of talk to other volunteers and call us and see if that's you know possible. We, these mission teams now, we, we are on a, we're in a manual that the Presbyterian church puts out, uh, across the denomination. And so, uh, youth group leaders and churches looking for a mission team spot, uh, we, we're kind of among the options they have. Mm-hmm. So they, they tend to find us through that national um, resource. And then after that, one person tells another is kind of kind of how that goes. Um, I, I guess, you know, when I go to retirement churches or churches in general, to the, uh, we always show in our PowerPoints, we always show the uh, impact that volunteers are having at camp. So some, you know, it's just kind of an ongoing part of our public relations is to uh, is to share uh, i think each newsletter that we put out talk, has a volunteer story um, right. about right. you know this project was just completed by volunteers or hey we need volunteers to help us with this project so you know it's uh because we use so many of them i think people people who are familiar with us um you know know that's part of our you know what you can do at Ferncliff. It's um, it's also on our website. You know, be, you know, volunteer options and, right. and things like like that. Yeah. Um, one of the things recently we've gotten is um, we call them host couples. Yes. Um, not always a couple, but uh, generally they have been folks who want to come and spend a month with us. And so we have housing where they can stay and do their own cooking when we're not serving meals in the cafeteria, and they simply provide hospitality. They uh, do airport runs. They, you know, paint a building when there's needed. So they're kind of come and willing to do anything. And um, when we have a, during our busy fall and busy spring, we try to um, recruit host couples who will live here and kind of be available for anything. And they're they're just um, golden. Uh, and and in that network, you know, one. One couple tells another couple, hey, I yeah. had a great experience yeah. at Ferncliff. Why don't you come join us this year or why don't you go in the fall? And, um, you know, it's it's kind of a it's just kind of an informal network out there of folks who do that. So uh, it, we don't really I couldn't really put my finger on any particular marketing yeah. that has yeah. found those people um, as well. Right. You know, you know, one other place we have found volunteers is, you know, during summer camp. Yes. You know, we pretty much l- rely on our trained staff and and i haven't really found great roles for untrained unskilled folks to come and mingle with summer staff i think there's some you know i'm not sure how that would work maybe others have done that more effectively but one one place we have found effective for volunteers in the summer camp program is with uh nurses all of our 
registered nurses come as volunteers. Um, and we plugged into a university program that uh, recruits the volunteer, uh, volunteer nurses for each week. Yes. And yes. so we don't have to recruit. They uh, are, you know, you know, really quality folks. And uh, the only thing we do is let their kids come to camp for free that week. Right. So that's been a really, that's been a really meaningful connection and a, a great place where, you know, they can, they can, they're volunteering, but um, you know, their kids are here too in camp and um, it's, that's been a huge um, positive resource for us in terms of volunteer nurses. Right. And I know when we were directing, so my first couple of summers directing, there were, uh, not a lot of nursing jobs available. So we were able to get recent grads who would come for the whole summer. Um, but that has, mm. that hasn't been the case locally, um, for a number of years. So it was always nice to have someone who was there for the whole summer as a sort of official staff person and nurse. Yeah. Um, but we just discovered over time that it was better for us to to do exactly what you're describing, have a nurse come for a week, trade them for space for their kids for this, for in a session or a week or two. Um, and then they, um, sort of build the habit of coming to camp or, you know, they have their favorite weeks or favorite sessions to come to and, and we'll, um, make that a part of it. It's, I'm glad you brought that up. That up nursing really is probably, the most common form of volunteering, I would think, for camps across all the whole spectrum of camps. Yeah. Yeah, of course, we have, um, like other faith-based camps, yeah. we have a volunteer chaplain. Every, mm -hmm. every week, a different person from a different church will come and be the chaplain. And that's, you know, there's no remuneration for that, the, right. you know, room and board. Um, and so that's another place, I guess, I would consider, you know, volunteers um, plugging into our summer program or um for instance, a van driver, you yes. know, to help pick up the kids from the day camp in the neighboring town. And, you know, it's always great to have somebody who can, you know, do those kind of, um, those kind of things. But that's, you know, that's, we don't have, um, you know, occasionally somebody will volunteer to be arts and craft, uh, the craft person for a week, or, yeah. um, you know, we can plug, um, you know, somebody into a role like that, but it's, you know, it's not, it's not extensive in terms right. of week to week. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, having somebody do something like driving, I think touches on a point that Joe is going to make about, um, the, our ability as camps to legally have volunteers in certain positions. Driving would be something that a lot of jurisdictions would have a hard time having a volunteer do that job because of the skills or licensing or insurance that they would have to have. What other stuff, Joe, have you found that, your legal ability to have volunteers do is diminishing. I think our legal ability is diminishing in, in areas, especially things like electricity, mm. anything to do with a, a, an electrician. So, you know, you can't touch certain areas. And, and if you pre-wire it, that other person is taking on all that liability. If you wired it wrong and they're just coming and checking in and hooking it in for you. Um, you know, we, we found that some of those things that volunteers used to do, a, we don't have time to wait to arrange a volunteer to mm -hmm. do it. And, and B it's just done faster and more professionally when you, when you hire someone to do your electrician, your electrical things or your, your plumbing and, and things like fixing a furnace, um, or appliances. Those are things where you have to outsource anyway, but, I think that um, as we move forward and we want to do 
things. As David said earlier, the volunteers, the work that they do isn't always uh, as professional as you might get if you paid someone. And so part of the challenge we've been dealing with here for years is is fixing long-term <laughs> issues that arose because people didn't follow code when it was installed. Right, right? built by so, volunteers. Um, yeah. Yeah, so right now, for example, we're, we just got funding to winterize one of our cabins. Our, our cabin is a, a, a six-room building. It has four rooms of eight and two rooms of four, so it sleeps 40 people. <coughs> and volunteers have redone it a couple of times over the years since it was moved here in the 60s. It's a military building, and, and we just discovered th some things about, you know, the way it's constructed and and the fact that although they said insulation was in the walls, there's actually no insulation in the walls, and, and those are all things that the funding will cover, but it's it's one of those things where you can't rely on, you have to, institutional knowledge is this magical thing, and yeah. if a volunteer does it, you still need to be able to track the institutional knowledge of that thing that was done. Um, but right. does that make sense, Travis? Yeah. Well, and, man, institutional knowledge on its own is its own show, especially for, you know, organizations that have been around for 100 years. And how do we pass on information from generation to generations? Man, that's such a, yeah. a good point. Good. The supervision of volunteers. Yeah, the supervision of volunteers is a major issue for, you know, as, as we said earlier, that um, camp maintenance people are a unique breed unto themselves and if they're not welcoming or if they always want to do it their own way and don't like the way somebody else is doing it it's not to say that other person is doing it wrong they're just doing it differently mm -hmm. than they would do it and and as a camp director you have to give that up for lots of stuff right i hire a summer camp director and and program director and if i wanted to be program director i would just add that to my responsibility list mm -hmm. and i don't want to be a program director um so leaving those little micro you have to be willing to not micromanage um, people as well and let them give them a task to do and then and then put the parameters on and then let them do the task as opposed to saying every you know every opposed to micromanaging every little move they do yeah yeah we uh i, I agree we we too kind of have to figure out what what jobs are volunteer friendly and what aren't yeah you know we're not going to put that you know that junior high youth group that wants to come on volunteer for three hours on saturday you know that they're not going to fell trees and, you know, work with chainsaws or, or something. So certain things lend themselves to that, you know, trail work or, you know, and your tools, you know, what, yeah. you know, do you have enough rakes and shovels and work gloves and things to keep people busy, meaningfully productive, safe? Um, you know, when, when 40 people want to come out and volunteer, you know, how do you, how do you handle that? Um, but we have to kind of think what's, you know, what makes sense for, um, for volunteers and, and what doesn't. One of the other resources you may find is that um, we have some uh, national volunteer groups. For instance, um, we had a lot of, we had a storm go through here and we lost a lot of trees uh, a few weeks ago. And there is an organization called, and believe it or not, this is their name, Baptist Men with Chainsaws. <laughs> uh, that's, that's the name of the group. They actually have 26 chapters in just in Arkansas. And uh, so we put in a call to them, and they were out here the next day with eight fellas and chainsaws, and they got all of our trees on the ground uh, for us in that wow. in a short period of time. That's what they do. That's yep. their ministry. Um, the United Methodists have a group called Nomads that come with their RVs for a week, and they love going around the country um, 
doing uh, volunteer work as a as a community, and so you can apply to host a uh, a volunteer team um, of of those folks as well. So you know sometimes there's these national groups yep. you can plug into who have some you know some significant uh, skill levels and are used to doing volunteers well well organized. Right. <clears throat> um, one of my scariest moments with um, a volunteer um, that I caught, I had a had to worry about this. I was checking frequently on this volunteer who uh, assured me that he was, this is also when I was willing to take more chances than I would take today. But anyway, he assured me that he was fine at electrical work and had some experience to back that up. And I checked in on his work and he was wiring things backwards. And I, mm-hmm. I said to him, you know, the, about the with the colors and negative and positive and grounding and all of that stuff. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah. You know how I always know. And he takes me over to his car. He opens it up and he pops the thing. He's like, see, on my battery on my car, red is negative, black is positive. <laughs> I was like, <gasps> <laughs> so we got him another job as quickly as we could, um, and yeah. we were able to check on all that stuff. <laughs> um, one of the other things we try to do is, um, yeah. you know, keep keeping track of volunteer hours. Yes. Um, you know, it, it takes some doing to not get too far behind in that, but um, to be able to tell uh, a foundation or in your annual report that you had 10,000 volunteer hours, that um, they realize that's good stewardship. You know, these guys are stretching their dollars by being able to employ volunteers to get a lot of their stuff done. So it's important not only to do it well, but then to be able to – uh, articulate to others that that this is a this is another place you are being a good steward of of resources and at our annual meeting we also do volunteer recognition yeah um, now out at heifer joe visited when he was here they have this really cool sweat and blister award they give people and, you know, it's funny it's cute looking and it's fun to you know some will go home and hang it up on their wall or but they you know having some kind of certificate or, you know, a mug or something to give people or give a chance to kind of stand up and have your volunteer of the year, uh, recognized at your annual dinner. Um, that again, reinforces a volunteer mentality among your, uh, donors and and constituents to, to kind of lift up those folks. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to say in some of, um, thinking about the recruiting and the communication of these kind of things that I think it's important that, as you say, David, you're recognizing volunteers in every newsletter, a public thank you, certainly um, thank you gifts or handwritten notes from the director um, or the manager, someone that they know, they know and, and have become friends with as part of volunteering is important. Um, I also think that you could do stuff like letters of reference for your teen volunteers that it's easy enough for you to to pass that on without them asking and have a way to recognize them for that but i think that we can do great things to thank our current volunteers and therefore help recruit more volunteers over time um, because we are demonstrating daily the value that we see in these people who come to camp and and give up their time Um, another idea that I that I had and didn't implement it is just in thinking about these things since I was directing. Um, part of it is this Joe talking about passing on the information from time to time, from generation to generation. But um, it, 
David, do you keep track of your volunteers, address, emails, and even stuff like their skills? We we don't. We need we we kind of know in our head, but right. um, we do not have a a, a, a database through where I can say, hey, who do I have that's had <clears throat> experience with chainsaws? Or, yeah. <clears throat> you know, a skilled master builder. Right. We um, you know, we know some of that stuff inherently, but we don't have. A <clears throat> we're not level having a volunteer coordinator who who can kind of yeah. you know really uh, organize that. That'd be a next uh, next you know next step. <clears throat> right. One of the things we also periodically we'll tell our architects okay when you design this next building yes can can you design it in a way that's volunteer friendly yeah because we're going to build it with volunteers so design it in a way that is that makes sense you know for them and uh and they can they can do that they can kind of translate okay well we're going to do it this way because that you know is much more volunteer friendly than doing it this way and so you know sometimes it's the design of the building or design of the project in such a way that Hey, this is labor intensive. I wouldn't do this if you were going to hire it. Yeah. But if you got volunteers, then I'll design it this way because you can do it cheaper with uh, with uh, volunteer labor. Right. Right. Yeah. That's cool. And um, I know that a lot of the the recent construction at Ferncliff has had some real um, thought and consideration put into environmental impact, and some of those construction projects take a little more time and, and labor. And has that, that been part of the way that you've been able to accomplish so much there? Yeah. That, designing that's, volunteer that, friendly. That's exactly right. The, you know, we couldn't have done a, you know, 5,000 square foot straw bale yeah. building without, uh, you know, cost effectively. We did it for $65 a square foot because <laughs> we could use volunteers Yeah, and, you know, we, we were able to go green in a creative way because we had more labor than we have dollars and more creativity than we had, you know, in our bank account. So, yes. you know, <clears throat> Joe saw when he was here that, you know, one floor is made out of beer bottles. Right. Um, it was labor intensive, but it was capital cheap. Yes. Um, you know, one's made out of conveyor belts, one's made out of rocks and one's literally made out of paper mache. So, yeah. um, and that's a that paper mache floor was one we gave to an AmeriCorps team. Said, we don't know how to do it, but here's our idea: go to YouTube, figure it out, build the stuff, make it happen. And they loved the freedom of being able to actually make that project from a concept right. to reality without us telling them, okay, step one through ten, do it this way. We just said, go figure it out. Come to us if you have issues, but it's your project. And um, they couldn't have been prouder of that you know because we invested them that uh that uh, that level of of, of, of trust you know, yeah one yeah. way to do it but yeah we have we have buildings that you couldn't have done without um having a volunteer culture yeah of course of course so, Joe, I'm going to start to, to think about wrapping us up here. Is there any thoughts that you have about creative ways to recruit volunteers or you know get people involved and keep them involved? There's nothing. It's it's a topic that I really need to work on, and it's a topic that I I think is is something where <clears throat> getting people to understand what you do, and especially I love David's point of, you know, it's not the young family so much that are going to volunteer as right. those those retirees and as we move into the boomy baby boomer generation all coming of age um there's potentially a, a whole 
lot more volunteers available to us. And um, I think, you know, there's a variety of online tools in Canada and um, that I don't utilize very well, but uh, it's, it's, it's a challenge and I don't have great ideas on it, but I know that I, if I had more volunteers, I'd be able to, to, you know, stretch the money I can raise even further. Right. Cool. Uh, well, David, is there any other any other thoughts that um, you wanted to make sure that we covered today when we're talking about this? Well, uh, I would just say it didn't didn't happen overnight for yeah. us. It was uh, each, each year we we get a few more hours and a few more hours, and so you know something you gradually um, you know aspire to kind of kind of do, and um, you know uh, we try to have meaningful work um, right. so that uh, you know if groups here for a week. They want some variety, and they want to feel like they've made a difference. They want an orientation. Um, so, you know, it's kind of making sure it's not just, um, you know, putting on the blinders and, you know, all they're going to do is paint this one building. Uh, we'd like to, you know, try to have them plug into feel like they've really accomplished something by the time they've left and they've understood how what they've done meets part of the mission of, of this place. So yeah. um, so that's, uh, that's just part of the the hospitality of it all. Right. Right. And you know, when we are directing and this still continues to this day, um, one particular weekend it was called work weekend in the spring, help key camp open and clean up. And, and it has always been a challenge to make sure that the work is meaningful, not just, or a mix of menial and meaningful. Um, sometimes right. you just have to rake leaves. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, that there are other projects that, that volunteers can see come back year after year and say, I was involved in that. I, I helped paint that, um, and the last time 12 years ago when it was freshly painted, it's cool to see it repainting it this summer. Uh, cause I was involved in that the first time. And I think it's really important that, um, and certainly the successes that we had with volunteers came from making those volunteers feel very welcome, making them feel a part of the community so that even if they, in a situation where they weren't eating meals with us, um, we would still make sure that they are part of, um, the campfire that happens every night, a real, a real symbol of what camp is. And, and they'd be welcome to join in singing, um, and just feel a part of that magical moment, mm-hmm. um, that it was true symbolism of the camp. And um, I, I like also that you touched on orientation. I think that sometimes when, if it's a busy time, like a work weekend, you forget to do things like welcome new people in and show them around, um, give them a tour if they've you know come with a friend. Um, so it's important when you're the, the person responsible for that group to make sure that they f- know where things are, know where the washrooms are, where they're going to sleep and where meals are. Um, and that you know they feel comfortable in the place um i'd love to see a camp that did some online orientation for volunteers that they you know got a little mini course it's you know two half hour um times that they had to Mm -hmm. or 20 minute video and a bit of a quiz or something that that the director would feel better about them coming on site and understanding their responsibilities but also that person feels um more settled into the place because they understand some of the things like meal times and um you know some of the rules maybe or or just um what it means to be a volunteer and the effect it's had i think that goes back to david's point about recording the number of volunteer hours um to be able to report that you know to 
um, grant bodies to your own board or to the community as a whole. If we were able to accomplish this much extra this year because there have been X number of volunteer hours over this past year. So, so I thank you both for your contribution to this great discussion. Um, I'm really looking forward to hearing um, from the community. People have some other good ideas about ways they've engaged or recruited or given tasks to volunteers. But if you feel like you've got some good information from David and Joe um, and me today, we'd really appreciate it if you would um, just go quickly to camphacker.tv slash love. Um, it'll pre-write a tweet for you. Um, you can feel free to customize that and just let people know how you feel um, about this particular program about building camp through volunteerism. So we thank you ahead of time for taking the time to do that. It's, it's a big help to us. So this means we're going to change our discussion now. We're going to switch on into our tool of the week. Tool of the week. We thank you for for being part of this discussion and watching this on YouTube or listening to us in your car, walking the dog or doing the dishes. Um, we know from people's feedback, including David's when he's not on the show, that um, the tool of the week is people's often their favorite section of what we do or the thing that sticks with them um, and giving them some practical things to help them do their job as a camp director. So we ask each of our panelists to come with a tool that specifically makes them a better camp director. Um, and Joe, I'd like to start with you today. I think you've got um, a really cool idea as your tool this week. Yes, my tool of the week is camp visits. <clears throat> it's something I started, um, so a couple of weeks ago, I was actually in Arkansas. I stayed at Ferncliff at, uh, with David, and I toured from there. We, we only stayed four days, and I toured five different summer camps. So Camp Bear Track, I visited Ferncliff, I visited Alder's Gate, um, uh, the Heifer Ranch, which is like a summer camp, but not a summer camp. And I also visited the 4-H Center. And, <coughs> excuse me, the value of of these visits is something um, something amazing because you get to talk to camp people, you get to hear new ideas and hear funding sources and volunteer things and whatnot. And it's it's very similar to what I did a couple of years ago in Australia with when I visited 13 camps over 26 days there. Yeah. Um, there's there's a certain value to it. And I took, I took along Jessica Tenhor, our summer camp director this year, and it was truly amazing to see her, the ideas she has brought back as well. So if you're going to use your education funds for something and you ha can find a friendly camp um, who will let you stay for the week like Ferncliff did, um, it's invaluable to do camp tours. And it's different than doing um, standards visits because there's no stress. There's no paperwork to fill out. Um, you literally are just, you know, you need a tour guide and someone to show you around. And it, it is really valuable for your mindset as a camp person to see different ideas. Yeah. Fantastic. It's a great tool. David, you have a couple of cool ones too this week. Yeah. <clears throat> one, um, first one is a boomerang, which is a Gmail, um, program and it helps you schedule, uh, emails. For instance, if I want to, if, if I've got a grant deadline and I need to communicate with somebody, it's in my head today, but I know it's not due for two weeks and they don't want to see it for two weeks. I can write it while I'm thinking about it and just schedule it to go out on the day I want to go out. And so that's 
it's very helpful to me, you know, knowing as to, I'm sure to when something, when somebody's going to read something, yeah. um, very helpful. And it's also, um, you can also, if you get an email from somebody that you don't want to see right now, because you know, you're not in that mode, but you want to see it next Wednesday and you'll deal with all of those same emails from the same subject, then you can schedule it to come back to your inbox at the right time. So, you know, so you don't have to have this fractured day where you're bouncing from one thing to another, you can kind of say, okay, I'm going to hold all those and deal with them at the same time, same place. Or you can uh, schedule to send yourself an email. You know, if you, if you think your calendar is not going to be sufficient, you know, s- schedule an email to come in, uh, you know, uh, an hour ahead of your podcast and you remind yourself, oh yeah, I got that podcast today. So, so that's helpful. And, and the other factor is too, you can, if you have some people that you email and sometimes they don't email right back and you need to kind of remind yourself, okay, if I haven't heard from that person in a week, I want to be reminded, right. you can schedule that to kind of come back and, oh yeah, I hadn't heard back from this person. That's, that's a real helpful tool as well. So I like Boomerang yeah. and I'm a big fan of using that almost every day. The other thing that um, I find that a lot of camps overlook is that uh, there are disaster funds out there that uh, you can tap for certain things. So, you know, you know, I had a storm, I didn't have a tornado, but a storm or ice storm, um, you can often get disaster funds from folks for things like that at your camp. And a lot of camp directors just, just doesn't dawn on them. They just, you know, have the mentality that they'll take care of their own. But right. uh, a lot of times people want to help. And uh, we have often tapped disaster funds when we've had, you know, small, uh, disasters you might call them come up or disaster prevention funds right you know so those the radios you need at camp you know well that's that's going to help you in an emergency and if you spin it to put in that funding request based on you know we want to be prepared that if something happens here at camp we have a way to get in touch with each other you can fund it even though something you're going to use every day or a generator or uh, you know uh you know next time you build a building a safe room um so if you think disaster uh, mitigation and preparation. Sometimes there are funding sources that come to mind that otherwise you wouldn't think about, and uh, that's I think uh, camp directors might like kind of thinking about that. Yeah. All right. Yeah, those are great. Thank you so much, David. My pleasure. Um, so my tool of the week is a book that, if you're on YouTube, you can see this on screen. It's called "Don't Make Me Think" by Steve Krug. Um, it is. Um, it's web design nerd stuff written in very easy to understand language. Um, I think that there are a lot of big changes to come this next 12 months to the way camps put themselves out on the web. Certainly the Google insistence on a mobile version of your website starting this past month, um, is something that's going to come up part of that, but also just getting better at having our website serve um, the purpose of helping families, Um, you know, helping our families get to know us better, helping them get to register easier, et cetera. And um, so I I feel like there's some really big changes coming in the web that way and camps really need to be aware of that kind of stuff. One of the things that can help you think about that better is this book, which is actually a revised version. You want to make sure you get version two um, of this book called Don't Make Me Think. And um, honestly, it's not too web nerdy. It'll, uh, It'll help you think about the way that your website's set up, even if you're not the designer developer, but you're just in, you know, it 
they're they are answering to, to you about the project it's nice to have that little bit of knowledge that you can stand up for your ideas and um, you know have some evidence to back that up so highly recommend that book if you're looking for something to read this summer that is not to get your mind off of camp for a while maybe that is uh, a good thing maybe it's one of those business books that'll help you fall asleep every night i don't know but uh, it has been great and, and certainly influenced my thinking over the years and uh, was pleased to get to read the revised copy and just finished that this week so Last ask from you folks, if you are, are watching, again, I've appreciated the tools. Um, you've got any any good ideas from David or Joe or anyone in the past. If you wouldn't mind, we'd be so grateful for, um, for, for people to take the time and write a review. I know that both Joe and David have written a review on iTunes before. Um, and so many other people who are, are great listeners of the show have taken the time to do so. And we're always grateful. And, and we hope next fall when we come back to be a little better, a little better at recognizing the people who've taken the time to do so. Today, it's it's just an invitation for you to do the same. It is helpful for summer camp professionals to find the podcast if there are more reviews on it. So if you go to camphacker.tv/itunes, um, it'll open up the podcast right there in your iTunes, and you can fill in the review there. So we really appreciate that. So. Joe, thank you for persevering and um, working to get back on the show when your internet's a bit flaky today. Uh, we're really grateful and, and thank you for your contribution to the show. Not a problem. Thanks, Travis. How can people find out about um, how to get in touch with you? Well, how to get in touch with me, um, they can follow Pierce Williams and everything we do at campisbetter.com. Life is good, camp is better. And if you want to connect with me, you can do that through my website, which is yoyojoe.com. Y-O-Y-O-J-O-E. Thanks, Joe. And David, thank you for being on, too. It's um, it was a great topic, and we do really appreciate you sharing all that you've learned um, through the stuff that you've done at Ferncliff. We're, we're grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, people have follow-up. How can they get in touch with you? Uh, the best way is through our website. Our brand new website is going to go live next week, uh, just ferncliff.org. Um, and they'll, they'll be able to pretty easily find me um, there. Uh, ferncliff at ferncliff uh, at uh, gmail.com is the easiest way to email me. Okay. Right on. Thanks again, David, for being on. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Good. So if you want to um, get information, you're listening to this and didn't have time to write down our tools or you want to um, check out some of the links to some of the ideas and resources that Joe and David have shared, please go to camphacker.tv slash podcast. There you'll find the show notes from this and all of our previous shows. Um, this is episode 82. So there are lots of great resources in there um, that you can find to, to help you out with thinking certainly with the big problems at this particular time of year in your life as a camp director, but also some other great big picture things. So again, that's at camphacker.tv slash podcast. And thanks for the evening, friends. The Camp Hacker Podcast is brought to you by Beth and Travis Allison, summer camp leadership training and marketing consultants. Thanks for listening. Camp Hacker, bringing your world into focus.